Uh, we started a new series last week. Maybe you joined online or, or maybe you were here or maybe this is your first time here, but we're, we're walking through uh, the gospel of Luke, but we're looking at some various snapshots and talking about what it means to be a kingdom community, which sounds a little cultish. I debated whether we would use that title or not, but really in the gospel of Luke, Jesus says he's coming to bring God's kingdom. In the Gospel of Luke, he says he's coming to set up life as it would look like with God as king, with Jesus as king. And so how would that affect all of our relationships, whether you think of marriage or parenting or friendships or dating relationships or whatever it is, what would happen if in our community, if in our relationships, more of God's vision was realized? Wouldn't that affect things profoundly? Wouldn't that change things profoundly that if God could say, okay, bring whatever relationship you have to me, and then he could say, here's my vision of what that could be. Here's my vision of what that looks like. Wouldn't we want that more? I I know that I would. And we have a lot of issues in our relationships uh, whether those are communication issues or, or we've got issues where maybe we don't listen very well or loneliness or all sorts of things that we have in, in various relationships. But one issue that we don't often think about and yet underlies so much of our relational or community kinds of issues is that we bring into our relationships a focus of self-concern or self-focus, that we are focused on ourselves so often when we enter into our relationships. And here's what I mean by that. Anytime that we come into a relationship, anytime that we uh, evaluate kind of how a relationship is doing or if we want a certain relationship, anytime we bring a mindset in of, I'm thinking about what am I getting out of this? What is this bringing to me? What does this do for me? Instead of, how can I show up and be here for this person? How can I love this person? How can I serve this person? What would it look like for me to reach out to this person? Anytime, in any relationship, where we have kind of an evaluative perspective, and by that I mean, how good is this relationship going? Or we are assessing if we even want a certain relationship through a grid of, what's in it for me? What's it bringing to me? What benefit am I receiving? What, what, what is this, what, what, how am I um, being a, a beneficiary in this relationship? What do I get? Now, this mindset of kind of self-focus affects all of our relationships in different ways. In a marriage, it affects those relationships that if you kind of have a self-focused mindset, then you will be evaluating, how's this relationship going? How much have they done for me versus how much am I giving to them? I feel like I'm the one always doing everything and I'm not getting anything in return. How am I feeling about this? Does this person make me happy? I just don't really feel like you make me happy anymore. We're evaluating through what am I getting? Even with parents and their kids, this can show up, that you're evaluating kind of how you think about your kids and how you feel about your kids based on what you are receiving from them. I've talked to a lot of, uh, I know several of you are uh, pregnant, and I've talked to a lot of uh, mothers that when they initially have a child, a baby, oftentimes when it's your, your first one, and even might begin to feel a sense of bitterness towards the child because of all that it's taking from them. And I know none of you new mothers think that that's even possible because, no, I'm going to love. And yes, you will. You'll, you'll love and adore and think it's amazing. 
And then a week will go by and two weeks will go by and you're, it's just poop and crying. And that is, you know, a lot of what life is for a while. And when your kids are a little bit older, they can kind of give you something. They can say, I love you, and they can write you a note, and they can play with you. But when it's just like, you know, I'm not like anti-baby here, okay? But I'm just, this is what I've heard from some mothers, right? And there can even be a little bit of a bitterness that this child's doing nothing for me and can create kind of some hurt there. This is true in friendships, that when we kind of have an evaluative perspective and are self-focused, we think about our friends and we think about, I'm inviting them. I'm trying to hang out with them. I'm always trying to go deeper in conversations with them. I'm trying to encourage them and they're not doing anything for me. I've I'm, I'm, put myself out there. They're not doing anything for me. Anytime we kind of bring into relationships, marriage, parenting, friendships, new relationships, you walk into a church and say, okay, I'm interested maybe in forming some friends, but we think, okay, what can maybe they do for me? Who's reaching out to me? Who's loving me? Who's greeting me? Anytime we have this self-focus, it affects our relationships. And here's, here's what Jesus is going to help us see today. And here's what I want to help us see today. We will never have the kind of community. We will never have the, the kingdom community. We will never have the health, the depth, the beauty of community and relationship that Jesus wants for us if we bring that into our relationships. It will poison every single one of them. And that might start as a seed and then grow. It might start small and then years later say, what happened? How did it get here? But anytime we bring that into our relationships, it will poison them. And Jesus wants more for us than this. He has a vision of what a kingdom community could look like, of what I could you know, take out community and say, of what a kingdom marriage could look like, of what a kingdom friendship, of what kingdom parenting. He has a vision of what that could look like in our lives. And really, in short, the word for that is humility. Humility is the vision that he actually has for our relationships. And I love this quote from C.S. Lewis, who, if you're not familiar, was Oxford professor, Christian author, writer, thinker. And he says this about meeting someone that is humble. And I just want you to think about this and think about, man, what if we had that attitude in our relationships? Here's what he says. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man or woman, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. We need to bring back the word smarmy. A greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. So that's, it's not going to be this person that's, oh, I'm nobody. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a low worm. That's not what humility is. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Instead, he will be coming into relationships, being interested in you, thinking about you. You see how that's the opposite of self-focus? What if we brought that into our relationships? I think that's a beautiful picture. I think every time I've heard that quote to go, man, what if I entered into all my relationships and I wasn't thinking about myself at all. I was just thinking about the other person. I was thinking about the people in front of me. I was interested in them. I wasn't trying to come across humble. I wasn't thinking about humility. I was just thinking about them. 
I was just interested in them. What if that entered into our friendships, our parenting, our, our, our marriage, all our co-working, all relationships? That's what we want. I think if you're a Christian, that's what you want. I think if, even if you're not a Christian, you can see the beauty and how that would affect things. So how do we get that? How do we get humility into our relationships? How can we be free of self-focus in our relationships? Um, we're going to explore what Jesus has to say about this, but we'll see how self-focus affects the relationships and what humility looks like and then really how we can have this kind of Humility. So we'll read this section from Jesus and then kind of see these various things. Here's what he says. Luke 14, one Sabbath when he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day, and they were watching him closely, which I think is funny. He goes in to eat with these people, and then I don't know exactly if he's just like, and they're just staring at him as, as he's eating. I don't know how awkward this was, but they're watching him closely as he's eating, right? And there in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. Uh, so he has a sickness. Uh, the commentators I read said probably dropsy, which is a, a disease that, or is actually symptomatic of deeper disease, probably organ failure and things like that. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And this is a question that has come up with Jesus a few different times where they're kind of watching Jesus on the Sabbath days, seeing him healing people, which was not against God's law in the Old Testament. It was against God's law to work, but they are the ones that made this law. But Jesus is asking them this, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They kept silent, probably because they don't want to say no. They don't want to, because then Jesus can do whatever he wants and they're trying to kind of trap him. They don't want to say yes uh, because then it just lets Jesus off the hook to do whatever he wants to do. So they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could find no answer to these things. He told a parable. So as this situation is happening, now he says, Let me tell you a, let me tell you a story how Jesus often speaks. He told a parable to them, to those who were invited, when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor, because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then, in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you, I remember one time went to a, a, the theater, a play, and sat in the wrong seat and had to have the usher come and say, okay, you're in the wrong seat. And, you know, it's a little embarrassing, but nothing like this where you're having the walk of shame where you are like, I'm choosing the best seat right next to the wedding party. And then he says, nope, up you go, down to the end. That would be very embarrassing. When you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back. And you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, 
Invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Let's see what Jesus wants us to learn here. First, we'll start with this. How does self-focus affect our relationships? The first thing that, that we see here is that it creates a lack of compassion. When we have a self-focus, it creates a lack of compassion for other people. We see this with the sick man that Jesus heals. Why don't they care about him? Why don't they care about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the experts in the law? Why, why don't they care about him? Why don't, this is, the, I think, the third time that they have confronted Jesus about healing on the Sabbath. Why don't they care? Why do they see these people that come in and go, eh, why are they more concerned about, is this, should you be doing this on the Sabbath, Jesus? Why don't you wait another day? Why, in the last, last week we looked at, they said, you can do this any day of the week. Why do it on the Sabbath day? They don't care about the immediacy. Why? Why not? Well, immediately, right after this incident happens, Jesus teaches on humility, which shows us then if Jesus, in response to them not caring, teaches on humility, then the problem is self-focus, which is why when Jesus brings them into the story, he says, which of you whose son or ox fell into a well will not immediately pull him out? And why would they do that? Because it's their son or it's their ox. It's someone that they care about. It's someone that they are affected by. But what self-focus does is if this isn't about me, I don't care about it. If this isn't about me, if it's not my ox, if it's not my son, then I don't care about it. You see, a self-focus creates a lack of compassion in our relationships where if something's not affecting me, then I don't care about it. Now that can lead to all, that can, that can show up rather in all sorts of ways. Someone else can have certain issues that we don't have, right? People can struggle with anxiety. People can struggle with loneliness. People can struggle with doubts and questions about their faith. And if it doesn't affect me, then I don't really care about it. Why don't you get over it? It doesn't seem like that big of a deal if it doesn't affect me. You've had this experience before probably where something didn't affect you and so you didn't really see or weren't really concerned about it in other people, but then maybe it happened to you and then you felt compassion for people. Then you felt less judgmental towards people. I remember um, that I used to, my, my iPhone, it didn't have a case on it and I thought, who needs a case? Like I spent a lot of money on this. I'm not going to be careless. I'm not one of those idiots that breaks my phone. And so anytime people had a case, I felt probably, you know, a little judgmental towards them. What are you, like a preschooler? You need a case? Aren't you, I mean, you're an adult. And then my phone broke. And then it's like, oh, of course, what kind of case do you have? Like, that's a great looking case. You're so mature that you would think ahead and all of these things, right? You're helping protect your purchase and all of that. It's easy if something doesn't affect us to not have compassion, it's easy when something doesn't personally affect us to be judgmental towards other people, to be judgmental towards their baggage and their issues that they have, their struggles, and whether that's emotional or spiritual or physical, their temptations. Think about this even at work and with your kids. If something doesn't affect us, it's easy not to have compassion. That's how self-focus affects our relationships. That's one of the ways. I want to give you three. A second way 
that it affects our relationships is that we are not there to love, but we're there to be loved. Jesus says in the parable that he tells that he noticed that they would choose the best places for themselves. So these people are showing up to a dinner, and what are they thinking about? They're thinking about themselves. They're thinking about what they can get. They're thinking about how they can get honor, how they can get affirmation, how they can get recognition, how they can have the best for themselves. And when we have a self-focus, what happens is we show up in relationships saying, how can I be loved? How can I be affirmed? How can I get recognition? How can I get acceptance? We all want that. We all want that, right? You don't want to show up into a relationship. You don't want to show up in a room and be like, I hope people reject me today. But there is a quality of self-focus in our relationships where we're so hungry for others to love us, for others to affirm us, accept us, recognize us, see us, notice us, that here's what happens. It backfires. And that's what Jesus' point is here, is that it backfires, that the Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Now, in the story, it's the you're, you, you wanted the best for yourself, and now you're actually lowered into a different position. But this principle is true regardless. Anytime you seek to get the best for yourself in relationships, that you're more focused on what you can get out of relationships than what you can give in the relationship, anytime we bring that attitude and that focus and that posture, it backfires. Think about, uh, there's, there's many examples I could give, but, but I think sometimes about the, the person that is very, very needy and always wondering, do you like me? Do you like me? And this can be true with kind of boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. It can also just be true in friendships. Do you like me? What do you think about me? Hey, how, 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 is, how are things going? How, are we okay? Are we and eventually, that, no one's like, man, I'm really drawn to that person. You're like, shut up. That's very clingy. It's very smothering. Sometimes, not to be sexist, sometimes moms can have this problem with their kids, right? Mom, if you're watching, not you, okay? So, but they can have this problem with their kids where they are just always kind of smothering, 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 and it, it actually has the opposite effect. They want to be liked by their kids. They want to be loved by their kids. And it sometimes, and some of you know this, right, because I've, I've talked to you as adult children now and some of the issues that you have, and it can push you away from your parents. This is true, and if you're, even if you think about your work and you're the person that's always, instead of just showing up and doing a good job and working hard, but are always just kind of wondering, hey, how do we stand? How, how are we doing? How, is everything okay? And, and you want so much to be affirmed, so much to be liked and recognized. Did you see what I did on this project? Did you see how I did this? You're wanting so badly that, that it actually causes it to backfire. You're trying to exalt yourself and it actually leads to a humbling that you didn't intend. This affects our relationships. So self-focus affects our relationships with a lack of compassion and it affects it when we're there not to love, but to be loved or to be seen or to receive affirmation. And then third, self-focus affects our relationships with the sin of reciprocity. In the end, uh, the final story that Jesus says, he says, when you kind of throw these parties, don't do this because they might invite you back 
and you would be repaid. So there's a focus sometimes in our relationships where we are giving. This person's throwing a banquet. He's giving a lunch or a dinner. That, that's not necessarily cheap. If you're having a lunch or a dinner, inviting all these people over, especially, I mean, it probably wasn't just McDonald's. They were doing kind of a, an all-day affair. And in that case, he says, listen, you might be serving people. You might be extending love to people in relationship and opening your table to people. But if there's a focus in there of how can I be repaid, if there's a focus on reciprocity, that will hurt your relationships. We might do for others, but really we're doing it for us. We know this. We do this all the time, right? We might, even, even on small things, we might help someone move, but we're hoping that they return the favor. We even have phrases around this. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. There's no phrase that's just, I'm going to scratch your back. That's not a saying. Like, what? what do you, I'm, I'm a back scratcher. Like, that would just be weird, right? But we have phrases that get at reciprocity, give and take. We have these phrases because oftentimes, and listen, most of the time we think this is normal. We even think it's healthy. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be a, a reciprocity in relationships, but if that's our focus, and if that's how we are evaluating things, that's a problem. Jesus says, if you bring a repayment attitude into your relationships, whether that's physical or it's even just emotional. What do I get out of this? What do they give to me? Are they funny enough to hang out with? Are they kind enough? Do they make me feel good about myself? I had this one friend that would just laugh at all my jokes like crazy. I'm like, okay, I'm funny, but I'm not that funny. I was like, I love hanging out with this guy. Like, it's the best. You just feel so awesome. Every single joke you tell, knock, knock. Oh! And it's just like, wow, okay, I want to hang out with that guy. Why? I'm getting something out of it. I'm benefiting from it. He says, anytime we bring that into our relationships where we are calculating, okay, I did this for them, are they doing it for me? I invited them, are they inviting me? I served them, are they serving me? I was thoughtful to them, are they thoughtful to me? We can carry around kind of a relationship calculator in marriage, in our friendships, with our kids, in church, all over and calculate where the equation is at. It's easy sometimes to keep track of. Do you see this in your relationships? Do you see this affecting your relationships? Do you, I mean, I think we all do these in various ways and to various degrees, and it hurts our relationships. It's the opposite of what C.S. Lewis said of just focusing on the other person. It's the opposite of humility. And it hurts them, and it damages them, and it poisons them, both in the short term and ultimately in the long term. So what would humility in our relationships look like? If it wasn't this, what does humility look like instead? What does it actually look like to bring humility into our relationships? And there's really a couple things that we can see in this passage. The first is that we consider others more than ourselves. When Jesus says, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place. Now, if you take this analogy of the banquet and the meal and understand, again, this is a, an illustration that Jesus is using. He's not just giving strict social instructions on, I'm, he's only concerned about banquets, lunches, and dinners, and that's it. He's using this as an illustration for broader principles. And if you take that idea, when you are invited, sit in the lowest place. 
What if we did that? What if we sat in the lowest place? What if we considered others more than ourselves? Paul says that in his letter to the church in Philippi. He says, consider others more significant than yourselves. Humble yourself. He links it to humility. When we consider other people as more significant than us. Even if, by the way, that's not true. Like there might be people more significant than you in a, or excuse me, less significant than you from a societal perspective. They may be less wealthy. They may be, if you're the boss, they may be an employee. They might be, uh, if you have some sort of power, they might have less power, but it doesn't matter. The idea is to consider others as more significant than yourself. The idea is to take proactively the lowest seat, even if you deserve the highest seat in some sense. It is to approach relationships with a mentality that says, I'm taking the lowest seat. What if we did that? What if we said, I'm not the most important. I don't need the best. I don't need something for you. I'm actually thinking about you. What if we took the low spot when it comes to activities? Sometimes that creates conflict in relationships. One person wants to do this and one person wants to do this. Say, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. What if we took the lowest seat and said, but I want to serve you? Sometimes in conversations even, if you're not interested in a certain topic, you're just like, eh, I don't care about that. I know that in our marriage, there's been times where my wife has wanted to talk to me about something, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't even care about that subject. So, no. Uh, and probably wouldn't say it so bluntly like that, but by just looking at my phone or checking out in some way, I'm communicating that. And instead to say, well... What if I take the lowest seat and I'm not thinking about what I get out of it, what I want from this in activities or conversations or with serving people that we say, I want actually to consider you as significant. So I'm going to take the lowest seat to honor you, to serve you, to be present with you, to consider others more. That's the first thing. The second thing, I'm just going to warn you right now, this is can be a difficult teaching. The second way that humility would affect our relationships or what it would look like in our relationships is hospitality. Here's what Jesus says. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. So Jesus says this. You're going to have a party? If Jesus was writing a how to have a party book, how to have a party, step one, don't invite your friends. What? So just a family gathering? Nope. Your brothers or sisters? Okay, so extended family? Nope, not your relatives either. So I guess just the neighbors. Well, not the rich neighbors. That's, that's your party planning instructions, Jesus? That seems a little strange. How to have a party? I mean, some of you are having parties. Some of you are planning parties, baby showers and weddings and engagement parties. And we just had 4th of July, 4th of July parties and Memorial Day parties and all sorts of parties all the time. And just, it's Saturday, let's drink beer parties, right? There's parties all the time. Most of the time, this is not what we think through as our guest list, right? Most of the time, you are not saying, I'm not saying, how many lame people do I know? How many blind people do I know? How many, and it doesn't mean lame like, you know, I don't like them. You might be thinking, yeah, there are some lame people here. <laughs> who, are, who are the maimed people I know? That's usually not our grid for thinking through 
relationships. Now, let me just say this. Jesus often teaches in hyperbole to make a point. When he says, don't give uh, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives. That's not an absolute. The reason I can say that is because Jesus had friends and had dinner with them and had the Last Supper with his 12 disciples. Jesus was often doing that. Okay, So this is not an absolute statement. It's similar to when Jesus says things like, you must hate your mother, father, friends, spouse, etc., etc., and love me. He isn't saying, I actually want you to hate people. That would contradict all his instructions on loving people. But he's saying, in comparison, he's saying, I want you to understand both of these truths. He's saying, I want you to realize this is actually greater than this. It was a Semitic or Jewish way of often speaking, kind of in a poetic phrasing to make a point. So I don't want to say this is absolute. I don't think that that's what Jesus says. However... It's easy for us to say, yeah, 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 okay, it can't mean that. That's absolute. It's easy to take what I just said and then check out. But there's two parts of the equation. We can say, okay, that's not absolute, but Jesus is trying to make a point. He is trying to push us to something that he knows is difficult. He is trying to move us towards something that's outside of our comfort zone. He is trying to say, we all do this naturally. That's the point. We all do this instinctively. We all, no one has to tell us to do this. No one has to say, listen, this is very important. When you're having lunch, do it with your friends. No one has to tell us that. No one has to say, there's a rich person next door, and if they talk to you, hey, invite them over. Maybe they can get you a connection. Maybe they know someone. Maybe they, no one has to instruct us in that. So Jesus is trying to push us to something. He is trying to move us towards what humility would look like in our relationships, which is hospitality. Hospitality, we might think of that word and think about kind of entertaining and throwing parties, and, and that might be a part of it. But really, the word in the Greek means the love of strangers. That's what it means. And I've taught on this before. Some of you have heard, and if you want to uh, go on our website and find old sermons on hospitality, then you can kind of get a, a more robust picture of just even that idea. But hospitality is actually when we love those that are on the outside, when we love those different from us, when we love those that are strangers to us, when we love the poor, the lame, the maimed, the blind. That's shorthand. Jesus didn't just mean those four categories of people, but he means those that are on the outside of us, those that are different from us, those that are not in our circle. This is challenging, right? It's not our instinct. We want some sort of loophole for it. But this is one of the clearest commands that Jesus is talking about here, but really that goes throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, where God's heart is continually to say to reach out to those that are on the outside. Listen, so many of us desire a close circle of friends. That's okay. Like one of the big values that we have as a church is that we want to help you form friendships. But if all you get is a close circle of friends, you are disobeying Jesus. If all you get is really close friends to have lunch and dinner with, 
you are missing the heart of God. Jesus is wanting us to see that humility would say, how can I think of other people? When we're focused on ourselves, it's easy to focus on those that we get something from, that we like to be around. Jesus is saying, I want to push you further than that. Not to just have a tendency to look for those that are similar to you, that you benefit from in some way, but to bring people into your life that are outside of your circle. Let me just say this too, and um, I, you're here in this room, so maybe this doesn't apply to you, but uh, maybe for some of you online, this is even particularly important. This is part of the problem of sometimes saying, you know what? I don't know if I need church. What I need is some close Christian friends, and I can listen to some sermons online, and hey, that's even great. I can listen to a bunch of different churches, and, and it's great. I have my close Christian friends, and I'm getting some teaching. That's part of the problem with that, because when you come into this room, you don't get to pick who's here. When you come into this room, you don't get to just select who's here. When you join a community group, you don't just get to say, ah, I'm only going to be with these four people. You actually are in the kingdom of God where there's more different kinds of people than you. There's single people and married people and there's different socioeconomic status and different ethnicities and there's different disabilities at times. There's, I mean, all sorts of different things, that you, different personalities, different political views, all sorts of differences. What if we showed up in our relationships not thinking about ourselves and not even thinking about our friends, but said, there's a humility that is leading me to think about other people on the outside. And let me just tell you practically what this could look like. I'll give you a few examples practically of what hospitality could mean. And this is not comprehensive, but I think it's helpful to just kind of push us into what would this actually mean? I think there's a starting level that even just says in the church, as I said, what could that mean? Listen, there's always new people in church. And I don't just mean at our church. I do mean our church. But in church, we have open doors. There's always new people. There's always new people in community groups. There's always new people here on a Sunday. And you might, uh, you might be new yourself. And even that doesn't exclude you from actually doing this towards other people. And what if we showed up saying, I'm not here to just get friendship, but to give friendship? What if we walk into a room and instead of saying, okay, who's going to love me? Who's going to be friends with me? Who's going to welcome me? And instead, we showed up and said, I'm here to love people. I'm here to give friendship to people. I'm here to serve people. Oftentimes, not exclusively, not always, okay? I don't want to um, jump over some people's pain that can be experienced. But oftentimes, the reason that we actually don't have the kinds of friends that we want is because we aren't just showing up saying, I'm gonna love, I'm gonna serve. The best way to make friends is to just show up and say, I'm here to love and serve. Instead of, who's gonna love me? Who's gonna serve me? Who's gonna invite me for dinner? Who's gonna invite me to go skiing? Instead, it's just to show up and say, I'm gonna do that. So hospitality will start nowhere if it doesn't just start here. That's the first thing. Second thing is to think about this with our relationships with those that are not Christians. They are outside of your Christian circle. What if we did what Jesus said and said, when I'm throwing a party, when I'm doing a lunch, when I'm doing a dinner, just as practical as that, I'm going to try to eat with people that don't know Jesus. I'm going to eat with my coworkers. I'm going to eat with my neighbors. I'm going to 
eat lunch and dinner with people that don't know him, that are outside my circle. It's easy if you're a Christian to try to form close Christian friendships. And amen, God wants that for us. But Jesus is pushing us beyond that. He is saying, when you eat lunch, when you eat dinner, what if you began to think about those that didn't know him? Maybe you don't have those kinds of relationships, and so it's to proactively be praying and saying, God, I want to do this. I want to obey this. I want this to be a part of my life, so help me to have that. And then third is the specific grouping that Jesus called out, which is those that are hurting, those that are in some way on the social outcast in that society, and often for us as well. And again, this is shorthand. Jesus doesn't only mean blind people, but not deaf people, or only mean maimed people, but not you know, other groups of people. But it's to say those that are hurting, those that are lower on the social status than you might be, those that are often not invited, those that are the ones that people overlook, those that might not bring to the table something great. Jesus says this, invite them. Is that a part of your life? Historically in the church, that has been a huge part of the church's life, is to say we bring those in that are on the outside. When's the last time in your life that something like that was active? Listen, we can be good Christian people that don't lie, cheat, steal, our sexual ethics are right, our, our, um, you, know, you don't get drunk, or whatever. I, don't, I don't know, like all sort of the check boxes that maybe it's easy to morally check and yet miss this, and we're still disobeying Jesus. We're still missing his heart. So I want to encourage you to think of, to pray for, to seek out ways to say, how do I build relationships with those on the outside? That might be through things like foster care and adoption where you bring people into your life. That might be through tutoring kids. It might be sometimes we have various opportunities that we do as a church. Denver Dream Center is one of our partners in ways that we are going into the community. So it can be all sorts of things. Maybe there's people that you know that you're overlooking, neighbors that are sick or disabled. Maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe there's no one in your vision, which is then to pray, God, give me your heart so I can be a part of that. And maybe it's those that are already there that you need to step out into. What if we showed up in all of our relationships thinking of other people? Who can I love? Who can I serve freely? Final thing is this. How can we have this kind of humility? Because this can be difficult, right? It can be difficult in lunches and dinners. It can be difficult in our marriage and with our spouses. It can be difficult in all sorts of ways, and it affects, a self-focus affects so much so how can we have this kind of humility? And I've already said this, but I just want to say it again. It's important to understand that this is a parable. He told a parable. And a parable is often kind of a short story that has spiritual meaning, which means it isn't just these actual practical instructions, though these are good and helpful insights, but it means there's deeper principles and deeper spiritual reality that he's connecting to between us and God. That's one of the keys, which means he's not just speaking to how we show up at weddings, but he's speaking to how we relate to God, that there is spiritual truth. And he uses this 
phrase that we looked at, which is really the core of this teaching, that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. How we have this kind of humility, this is part of where it begins, is to humble ourselves. And think about that with before God, to humble ourselves before God, which means this. It means to know our condition before God. To humble ourselves means to, in honesty, come before God and say, I know who I am before you. I know that I am a sinner before you. I know that I am lost without you. I don't know if you, if you saw this. I think I saw it last week. There was a, a news, uh, just an article, a clip that came out from uh, Colin Farrell. And he was on Jimmy Kimmel, and it says, Colin Farrell uh, tears up while discussing homelessness in L.A. So I don't know if you saw this clip or anything like that, but I'll just give you the, the gist of it. But it's just Colin Farrell, and he's doing an interview, and then he, L.A., like many big cities in our country, has a huge kind of homelessness um, problem. And he starts talking about, man, I'm walking down the street and seeing all this homelessness, and he kind of tears up and says, man, I don't, it's just really sad. And he says, I'm not doing anything about it, and you know, I need to maybe think about it more, but he's just sad about this reality of those that are on the lower social strata, of those that are outcasts. And even just showing that level of small, even though he's saying, I'm not doing anything about it, even just showing that level of compassion and care, it was all over the news and people saying, man, seeing him get emotional and talking about homeless people really got in my feelings. He's such a golden heart. I love him so much for this. And uh, Stay Gold Pony Boy says, uh, which is the best name ever, says, seeing Colin Farrell get emotional about the number of homelessness in America on Kimmel tonight gives me hope for humanity. Right? So just slivers of compassion of someone who is high and powerful and wealthy and rich, having some, what I believe was authentic compassion for people suffering. Someone who is high thinking about those that are low. Just a little bit of that, and people go, I have hope for humanity now. I, oh, he's got a golden heart. Now, when we think about our position before God, and we think about that spiritually, we are homeless. Spiritually, we are outcasts. Spiritually, we are sinners. Spiritually, we are far from God. And the person with the most power, the person with the most prestige, the person with the most wealth and riches did have compassion but not just a little tear on, a, on the Tonight Show, but actually entered in and did something about it. That Jesus, who Paul says in Philippians, humbled himself and took on the form of a servant as he became a human. That Jesus didn't just look at our condition and have a tear of emotion and compassion, but he entered into it. If there's a hope for humanity because Colin Farrell has a tear, if there's a golden heart because there's some compassion that is revealed, what does that say about Jesus? What does it say about the person with all wealth and all power and all authority that says, I'm coming down to those that are not just outcasts and broken, but have actually rejected me and actually turned against me, and I'm coming to them? See, how we have this kind of humility the principle is this, we must humble ourselves before God and know our condition and see what he has done for us. That he was despised so we could be loved. That he was rejected so we would be accepted. That he was outcast 
so we could be brought in. That he was humbled so we could be exalted and seated with him. That he was cast out so we could be welcomed. That he was made sin so we would be made righteous. That he died so we could have life. That is way better than Colin Farrell. And I'm not trying to, to you know, shame Colin Farrell. I'm just trying to say there's something of a human emotion that sees what he did and says, oh, yes, but Jesus is way greater than that. And if we want to experience humility, it begins with humbling ourselves before God, knowing our condition, and seeing what it is that he did for us as outsiders, as sinners, unable to repay anything, but he did it for us. Listen, if you feel in any way, we're in Denver and, you know, we're in Arvada and, and I know most of you are mid, whatever, middle class to upper middle class. I don't, I don't know everyone's thing, right? But we're not, we're not kind of in the inner city with, with tons of homelessness and maimed and lame. And so, you know, you might, you might not feel like this economically, but if you feel in any way that you're on the outs, you feel like you're not on the in, you feel like you are different or suffering, or emotionally there's stuff where you feel like you're not, Jesus says, I want you. I come to you. I come for you. I want you in. True of all of us, and true for those of you that feel that way. When we remember this, it begins to free us from needing other people, and instead we can give to them. When we remember his compassion to us, we're able to be compassionate to others. When we remember that he gave freely to us in grace, then we're able to give to others and not have to calculate how they can repay us. When we remember his acceptance of us, we stop worrying so much if other people are recognizing and accepting us, which actually just frees us to love them and not have it backfire. When we remember and remind ourselves, listen, even when you just show up with your kids or your spouse or your friends or, and, you, and you remind yourself, God, you've been compassionate to me, so help me extend that now. That begins to change our relationships. We're going to take communion in just a minute. If you didn't get a communion cup on the way in, make sure to grab one there. Communion is something that Christians do to really remember what I just said. That God himself humbled himself, came to this earth, and allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed. He was brought low so that we could be brought high. He was made nothing so that we could experience everything with him. He took on death so that our sins could be forgiven and we could have life with him. We all want humility. And it's only as we remember his humbling to us that we begin to experience that and experience the freedom of that. Imagine if in our relationships we could have more humility, less self-concern. I'm going to give you some time to pray and take communion. And as you do that, take some time to confess and say, God, here's where I haven't been humble. Here's where I've brought self-concern into my relationships. Here's where I haven't done what you've said. I haven't shown hospitality. Wherever the Holy Spirit has kind of touched and convicted, 
use this time to confess. Jesus forgives all of it. He died for it. And then use the time to thank him for how he has shown you his grace, how he has shown you his welcome, his compassion. And then ask his help to obey, to show up in relationships with humility and hospitality. So take a minute and pray, and then we will respond in singing a few songs. Father, I thank you for your grace to us, for your humility in humbling yourself to give us life. And I pray even now as we take communion and as we sing songs that you would deepen the truth in our hearts that we most need. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.